to thank you take the uh, the last Sunday of the year to just address kind of what's been going on and what the Lord has been doing. And uh, we all know this has been a crazy year, right? It's been a most unusual year in every way that you can think of. With all of the things we've seen this year, with the, uh, the madness and the hatred in the media, with this crazy virus, with the way uh, the government, as well as all of the citizens have responded to this, uh, it has just been an exceptional year and a very trying year in many ways. You know, businesses have been closed down. They've, they've gone out of business. People have been laid off. Unemployment has been incredible. Uh, just crazy things, right? Things that we don't normally see. We see cycles in our economy, but nothing like this. But the more disturbing and troubling thing that I've observed, just thinking about it from the point of view of the church, capital C, is what's happened among the Christian community. Now, I want to remind us this morning, and the purpose of the message this morning is to remind us of who we are and what we are called to do. I think many in the Christian community have lost focus. If, you know, some of you are on social media, some aren't, but I'm on social media quite a bit uh, on basically all the platforms that are current. And what I see happening among Christians is that there, there's kind of two groups. There's a minority and there's a majority. The minority are on point, uh, tweeting, posting, whatever, about the Lord. They're talking about the encouragement of the Lord. They're sharing the gospel. They're, they're focused on the Lord. And when people read their posts... They're encouraged, right? Or they're convicted or they're drawn toward the Lord in some way. Then there's the majority where we've kind of shifted. And I think this year we've seen a major shift in society. But again, I, my purpose is to address the Christian community at large, which is I think we've seen a shift to Christians becoming like the world, and people have been sucked into the madness, have been, you know, everybody's got an opinion on everything. I realize that. I'm not here to, to debate opinions. Uh, I'm just here to say I think what I've seen in the Christian community, especially on social media, and if that is in any way a thermometer taking the temperature of the body of Christ, then folks, we are in trouble. I think as, as a Christian community as a whole, we have slid somewhere off of center and we've lost our focus. And so this morning, uh, I want us to hopefully take this, this time together to recalibrate and to refocus. And essentially, I'm not going to have a message this morning with a lot of points. We are going to read a lot of scripture together to ask the Lord to just kind of, bam, just, just to recenter us as we get into his word. So let's pray. Let's jump into it. Our jumping off point this morning is going to be Matthew chapter 24. If you want to turn there, uh, I'll have these slides available if anybody wants them, you know, to, uh, to, to view later. I'll, I'll either post them or email them to you. So just let me know if you would like a copy. So let's open in prayer, Lord, as we turn our hearts toward your word, toward what you have to say to us. You're the one who can address these issues in our hearts and the drifting that has taken place in, 
in the Christian community, away from the center. Lord, bring us back this morning to focus on Jesus, to remember that you are the center of our universe. You are the center of the universe. It's just that the world doesn't know it, but we know it. And so, Lord, remind us this morning, reground us as we consider these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, not responding. I don't know if you can do something there so I can bring that slide up. Sorry for the technical difficulties. You want me to disconnect and reconnect? There we go. So we're going to start out here with Matthew chapter 24. And so I'm just going to be reading through these passages and we'll talk about them briefly. Jesus said, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. I'm just going to pause there for a moment and say, I believe Jesus here is speaking about the rapture of the church. So let's continue. Then two men will be in the field and one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. What is this saying to us? It's a very simple message, isn't it? Be ready. Be focused on the right things. Be looking for the coming of the Lord. The next major event for us on the prophetic calendar, which is the one that should overshadow all of our calendars, is the coming of the Lord Jesus to receive his church back to himself. Next, in Matthew 20, after Matthew 24, you have Matthew 25, and then he talks about the parable of the ten virgins. So let's read through these 13 verses, because it also talks about this idea of readiness. And the reason we want to do this is because Jesus said it. He said what he said there in Matthew 24 about being ready. Then he gave a parable to illustrate the idea of what it means to be ready. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now let's stop here and let me calibrate you on this. We're talking about when, you know, the Jewish ceremony of a wedding. And the bride went out to meet the bridegroom as the bridegroom was coming. That was the custom. And so Jesus is taking that custom and applying it to the bride of Christ, his church, being ready to go out and meet him. Now, five of them, five of these virgins were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. They weren't prepared. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. 2020, COVID, politics. And at midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose, trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, 
Uh, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. We don't have enough oil. But the wise answer is saying, no, lest there should not be enough for us and for you, but go rather to those who sell and buy and, and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. What's the point of the parable? Be ready. We don't know when he's coming. Be looking for his return. Paul, in speaking to the Romans at the end of chapter 13, said these words here, which very much parlay with what the words of the Lord Jesus said. And he said, and, and do this, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And isn't that true? With the passing of each moment, with the, the, each tick on the clock, we are closer to the return of the Lord Jesus to take his church to be home with him. For our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry, not in drunkenness, not in lewdness, not in lust, not in strife and envy. Facebook, I've seen nothing but strife and envy this year. But, on, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. And that means that we should know ourselves, we should know where our weaknesses are, and if possible, know where our blind spots are, and to not make any provision for the flesh. In other words, the things that trip us up and draw us in, we should put a safeguard in the, in the way to keep us from going down that path. What are the reasons I'm doing this this morning? Second Peter here, uh, chapter 1, verse 12, for this reason... I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. We're speaking to the church, so you know these things, or you should know these things. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you. That is the purpose of this morning. It's to stir you up. It's to stir the pot. It's to shake us all up a little bit. Listen, we don't know what lies ahead, right? Everybody's going, I can't wait in four days for 2020 to be over and 2021 to come. Well, do you know what lies around the corner? I don't. Only God does. 1 Timothy 4.13, until I come, Paul instructing Timothy, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. That's what we do here, right? So that's why we're going to focus on reading scripture this morning and let scripture inform us. Jesus spoke to his disciples in John 14, and by extension, he's speaking to us. And here's his reminder. As he was leaving the earth, he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. What has Jesus been doing for the last 2,000 years? preparing a place 
for you and me and for all who are called by his name, for all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. In 2 Peter 3, Peter assures us that what Jesus said will come true. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, there it is again, that you may be mindful of the words which are spoken before by the holy prophets. So we have the, the, the testimony of scripture. We have the preponderance of evidence of all of the Old Testament pointing to Christ, that you may be mindful of these words that were spoken beforehand uh, by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the, the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lusts and saying, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Certainly, I, we've seen that. We see this blowing through the church periodically. We've, I've seen this very thing this year, verse 4, 2 Peter 3, 4, happening on the internet. And Peter continues here, and he says, For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water, referring back to what God did at the flood of Noah, that God had to bring judgment. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men, saying that God will deal with the ungodly, we don't have to do that. That's God's job. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness, but is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's God's heart. That should be our heart. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. And I believe he's referring at that, this moment to the second coming of Christ when Jesus comes with, with great glory and power and when he begins to judge the earth and certainly speaking of the second half of the tribulation when God pours out all of these judgments upon the earth. And he says, therefore, verse 11, since these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, we look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Isn't that what we long for? So that's what we're looking toward. But until we get there, there's a path. There's an unsavory path through the valley to get to the time of righteousness in the presence of Christ. And he says that we are to look for and to hasten the coming of the day of God. How in the world do you and I do that? How do we hasten the coming of God? I would submit to you that it's by living godly and righteously and staying focused on the main thing, not becoming distracted, not being caught up in the world. Peter said elsewhere, it's not on my list here today, but he said that it's 
the right thing for us to do is to keep ourselves unstained or unspotted from the world. So that is not allowing ourselves to be distracted and pulled aside into things that don't matter. And I have seen so many of the believing community pulled aside into things that don't matter. 1 Timothy 2, Paul reminds uh, Timothy here of something very important that we need to be reminded of. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that all supplications, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and a peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You see Paul repeating to Timothy what Peter said earlier in his letter, almost exactly the same thing, that God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's the heart of God. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all, to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. And I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting, urging the church to pray. Yes, pray for our leaders, pray for those who are in authority, whether you like them or not, whether you agree with them or not, that's not the point. The point is we need to pray. God is urging us by the power of the Spirit through the pen of Paul to this young pastor, Timothy, saying, everybody needs to be praying for our leaders. I mean, we don't have time to go into Romans 13 and all these places that talk about how we are to demonstrate our obedience to God by being obedient to the government. Yes, there's a a point in which if the government becomes, you know, is doing things that's not in alignment with the word of God, yes, we don't submit to that. But the point is we pray for those in authority. And so we need to be doing that. We need to be praying for those rather than dismantling them and dismembering them and eviscerating them on Facebook. We need to be praying for these people. You see, others are reading our posts, right? Unbelievers are reading our posts. Other weaker Christians are reading our posts. What is the message that we're sending? Is it the message of hope and life in Christ, or is it the message of my opinion and how I feel about things? That nobody, listen, nobody needs my opinion on anything. My opinion is not going to save anybody, is it? My opinion is not going to urge someone toward Christ. Only the Spirit of God working in and through us, through the Word of God, that's what's going to urge people toward Christ. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. I believe we are living in these times. Listen to the description. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And listen to this. He's speaking to Timothy, a pastor of a church, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And from such people turn away. 
He's describing the church. He's not, this is not, we read this and we think, this is just a general description of the world, right? And it is. It is a general description of the world, but he's telling a pastor to be on the lookout for this stuff in the church. That ought to be sobering to us. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of global women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, But here's the kicker, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. This morning I came in, I was talking to Pastor Mitch, and I noticed on his phone had popped up screen time for the week. And I said, you know, I turned that off because it was depressing me. I don't even want to see it. But I believe if we looked at our screen time, the amount of time we're spending online... Let me just ask you the question. Where should we be spending more time? Should it be in the Word of God or prayer, in prayer, or should it be online? Do we spend more time posting everything that happened in our lives, or are we letting God minister to us? Are we becoming changed? We don't want to be in the category of always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. We don't want to be accused by the Holy Spirit of having a form of godliness, but, not, but denying its power. In other words, translation, Christian in name only. That's not where we want to be. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians 3. He says, if then you were raised with Christ, rhetorical question, writing to the church, yes, you were. If you've believed in Christ, you were raised with Christ. If then you've been raised with Christ. Seek those things which are above. There's the exhortation where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. That is your identity. When Christ, who is our life, appears, when is he going to appear? The rapture of the church, when we see him. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, this lines up perfectly with what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. As a reminder this morning to stir you up. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, amen, I do, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord." Therefore, comfort one another with these words. I hope this comforts you this morning. You say, where is the word rapture used? Yes, it is. It's right here. Here it is. When it says caught up in verse 17. That's our Greek word harpazo. The Latin word is rapturus, rapture. So that's what this is speaking about. Speaking the word rapture simply means to be caught up with the Lord. You see, there is a time coming, there's an event coming, there's a day coming for the church when Jesus will appear on the clouds in great glory and the church will rise up to meet him. The dead in Christ will rise first and we who are alive and remain shall join them and we shall be drawn to the Lord. 
And at that point in time, we will go to be with the Lord. Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Not only speaking of death, but now also speaking of those who would rise to be with him. In this time, when the Lord calls his church to be with him. And if, uh, continue on, continuing on in the, the next chapter, First Thessalonians chapter 5, he says, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. And I want to stop right there. He's writing to them to explain the times and the seasons, but he says, I shouldn't have to tell you this. Why? Because it's a given, it's an understanding in his mind as he writes that the believers know these things and that we are looking for the coming of the Lord. And if we are in tune with the Spirit, if we're in the Word, if we're Spirit-filled people, if we're Spirit-filled men and women, then we can see the times and the seasons. And no one needs to tell us. Remember, Jesus told parables. This is a great study where Jesus talked about the times and the seasons. And he talked about, okay, you know when the harvest comes. You know when it's time to plant. You watch the signs and it points you. And he says, so it is with the, the times and the seasons of the Lord. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, Christian, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You shouldn't be surprised. But if you lose focus, you will be, won't you? You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. That's not who we are. That's not our identity. We belong to Christ. Therefore, let us not sleep. This is at least the fifth time in these passages that I've been sharing with you that he says this to us. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do. But let us watch and be sober. You see, the unbelievers aren't the ones who are asleep. They're dead. They're not asleep. The Christians are the ones who are asleep, and that's who he's warning about here. He says, let us not be like other Christians who are asleep. Let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath. What's he saying there? It's not for Christians to go into and through the time of the tribulation. Why? Because that the tribulation is the time when God pours out his wrath upon man on the earth. God did not appoint us, his believers, his church, to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. The word salvation means deliverance. Who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, again, comfort each other and edify one another just as you were also doing. So this morning, be comforted and be edified by the fact that the scriptures tell us we're not to be asleep, we're to be awake. And by the way, Paul is saying here, I shouldn't have to tell you to be, asleep, to be awake. I shouldn't have to tell you what the times and the seasons are. Why? Because the word of God fully informs us on these things. Now, we've been talking about the time leading up to the time of the tribulation, and here's what happens, just to remind you, I was going to show some charts, but all of the charts I have when I put them up here, you won't even be able to read them. So when we look at the time of the tribulation, when 
that there's things that are going to happen. And we studied all this a year ago in Revelation as we came to the end of the year. You may recall we finished the book of Revelation right about Thanksgiving of last year. And then we had a time of focus on Christmas. And then, of course, we moved into um, the Holy Spirit and then we moved into Genesis. But as we went through the book of Revelation, we looked at how things begin to play out. We have the rapture of the church, which is right at the beginning of the time of the tribulation. And while we don't have an exact sequence, we know that the Antichrist comes and that he makes a treaty, a peace treaty with Israel. And essentially he makes a peace treaty between Israel and the rest of the world. He does something which no one has ever been able to do. He makes this treaty. And we know that around that time, the third temple will be rebuilt. And then the daily sacrifices will be restarted in the temple. So where the rapture happens in relationship to those things at the very beginning, we don't know. But when the Lord says it's time, he will pull his church out. And when he pulls his church out, the time of the tribulation will be unleashed. And for the first half of the tribulation, the tribulation is a period of seven years for the first three and a half years. The Antichrist is, you know, it's peace and you know, world peace and just things are great all over the earth. And he's this global leader. He's, you know, there's never been a global leader on this planet. And he will ascend to being this global leader of the whole planet. And think about technology right now. We can, we can watch, and Nate sent us a video from New Zealand, right? We all watch the news. We know that, that people are live in Jerusalem and live in Russia. And they're, we're getting the news real time from these cities on the other side of the face of the planet. The technology exists, doesn't it, today? Like no other time in history when these things can happen. So the Antichrist will rule and reign for these first three and a half years. And then the time will come when the Antichrist will walk into the temple one day, having fully deceived the earth. And he will walk in to the most holy place, the place that is intended only for the priest to go once a year to offer the sacrifice of the blood of the lamb, the day of Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. And he will walk into the most holy place, declare himself to be God, and declare that the entire world must worship him. And in that moment, Jesus said, Be careful, for when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, he speaks of this in Matthew 24, he says, look up for your redemption draws nigh. Okay, things are getting ready to get hot real fast, because from that point forward, there's three and a half years till the end of the tribulation. So we have the period called the tribulation. The first half is really called the tribulation. The second half is called the great tribulation. And that trigger at that three and a half year mark is when when the Antichrist walks in and declares himself to be God. Now that's what Paul is talking about here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So prayerfully, hopefully, by by God's grace, we're all going to be watching this from heaven. But it's something that he put here for us to be aware of. And so uh, that those who become believers during the time of the tribulation, known in the book of Revelation as the tribulation saints, that they would have these things to guide them. So here's what he says, let no one deceive you by any means for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. So what he's describing here, and there's several other places where this thing called the falling away uh, happens. And that is as we lead up to the time when Jesus comes to take his church back to be with him, there are going to be some 
named Christians, whether or not they're believers, I don't know, who fall away. They say they believed in Christ, but they fall away. Think about what we've been seeing in the past two years. Well-known pastors, uh, Christian teachers, um, musical artists coming out and saying, I've lost my faith. I no longer believe in God. I've seen at least five or six of those in the past year. Crazy. I'm denouncing their faith. The falling away, it's happening. The man of sin will be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. This is the abomination of desolation. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. And he's talking here about the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit working in and through the church is what is restraining all of this madness from happening called the tribulation. And when he is taken out of the way, when when the, the, the Holy Spirit comes and removes the church, then all of these things will begin to cascade and fall into sequence. And you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he, the Lord, capital H, who now restrains, will do so until he, capital H, the Holy Spirit, is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, the Antichrist. Then this whole thing will happen called the tribulation. Whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Speaking of the time of the end of the tribulation. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. We're going to go in a moment to Revelation 13 and we're going to see that very thing played out with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion. Did you read that? God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. In Romans chapter 1, Paul also speaks of this thing called the lie. A fascinating Bible study. The only two places it's spoken of in the New Testament, right here in 2 Thessalonians 2.11 and in Romans chapter 1. And when you search that out, what you'll find is The lie goes back to when Satan exalted himself and rebelled against God, Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, and all the way back to the Garden of Eden, where he came in and he said to Eve, hath God said? And he began to tear down the word of God and to tear down faith, to tear down the goodness of God in the eyes of people. The reason I wanted to go to Revelation 13, and I want to give some introduction here. Revelation 13, and we're not going to read the first few verses. We don't have time for that. But this is where the beast or the Antichrist rises to power. There's a beast that comes up out of the ocean in the first half of the chapter. And in the second half here, as we're going to read, there's a beast that rises up from the land. And it says there in the book of Revelation, as we read and study it, that Satan himself gives the beast power and he has, uh, you know, the world leader, the first beast, and he has the false prophet, the second beast. Now, I want to preface this with something that I've seen that's very disturbing that I've seen on Facebook. And here's what I've seen. 
Many of you have probably seen this. People posting all sorts of things saying, if you take the vaccination, you are taking the mark of the beast. I've seen that so many times. And I want to tell you, that is false doctrine. Now here's why. Let's read together. Revelation 13. Remember, the reason, the reason I told you all this stuff about the tribulation, let me ask you the question. Are we in the tribulation? Have we seen those things happen? Have we seen the Antichrist rise to power? Have we seen complete sheer lawlessness? Have we seen the church taken out of the way? I hope not, because we're all still here, unless we're all severely deceived, and I don't think we are. I've just read to you all these scriptures that point to that, starting with what Jesus said. So we are now in Revelation 13, in the middle of the tribulation. What we're having happen here in Revelation 13 is the abomination of desolation. This is where it happens. So let's begin reading here. I saw another beast. This is the second beast coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. He's being empowered by Satan. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. So there's this thing going on. Remember the Holy Spirit points to Jesus. The second beast acts like the Holy Spirit, even though he's a person embodied. And he points to the first beast who is the embodiment of the Antichrist. So that's what's happening here. So he exercises all authority and he points people to worship the first beast. He causes the earth, right? And those who dwell in it to worship the first beast. Have we had anybody right now so far on the earth imploring everyone on the earth to worship one person, one world leader? And the answer is no. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire to come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. Allah, remember when Moses went in before Pharaoh and Pharaoh's magicians came in and they duplicated, they counterfeited a lot of the signs. Signs and wonders will be used to deceive people. And he deceives those, verse 14, who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the first beast, of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lives. You see, in previous chapters, the beast was killed by a sword, a, a mortal blow to the head. And the way it describes it is almost like someone shoves a sword right through his brain. But then he is resurrected, he is healed miraculously, and everyone will begin to worship him. Now the second beast, Allah, the unholy spirit, comes along, points to him, raises him up, and says, everybody has to worship him. He's obviously God. And he was granted power, verse 15, to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and listen and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Are we experiencing that right now where someone is coming to you in your house and saying, if you're not worshiping this beast, you'll die right here and right now. So declare your homage to him or die. No, we are not there. Verse 16, he causes all, both small and great, that includes kids, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark, listen, a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. Does that sound like a vaccine? Okay, a mark. It's visible. 
let me call it a tattoo for lack of something better to call it. There's going to be a mark that you have to receive on your right hand, not your left, your right. That's what it says here, right? You have to receive a mark on your right hand or on your forehead. Something that identifies you as being allegiant to and devoted to the beast. So that has to happen. He causes this to happen. And he says that no one may buy or sell except he who who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Now people want to debate what this is and all that. I've never, out of the, the dozens of things I've read about this, no one knows what 666 means. But here's what they do know that no one may buy or sell, verse 17, except one who has the mark or the name of the beast. So it would seem to say to me that there's some mark that you have to take, and it could even be 666, that basically you're tattooed with 666 on your right hand or on your forehead or some other mark, which he may approve. And so that has to happen. Now, the debate has been, well, people are talking about putting an RFID chip or some kind of tracer in the vaccine and all of that. Listen, all of these things could be leading up to the Antichrist. I freely admit that. But taking a vaccine today against the virus is not taking the mark of the beast. And I'm going to just be bold here this morning because this is my unsavory role as a pastor. If you're posting this stuff, please stop. You are perpetuating false doctrine. And lesser believers who are not as mature, not as wise are reading this and they're getting concerned. Taking a vaccination against the virus, I'm not debating that. I'm not saying you should take it, okay? I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying it's not the mark of the beast, okay? By taking a vaccine, you are not receiving the mark of the beast. Why? We're not in the tribulation. The church hasn't been raptured. We haven't reached the point, the halfway point of the tribulation where the beast has been elevated, where he's declared himself to be God, where the abomination of desolation has taken place and where he has demanded that everyone worship him and where he has demanded allegiance or you die. And by the way, if you don't take this mark on your right hand or on your forehead that you can't even buy or sell or live, these things have not happened. Revelation 13 has not happened. We are not there. Therefore, these things must be false. And I urge you to reject them. Amen? Second Thessalonians 1.7, to give you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, end of the tribulation, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. Now, this is talking about the second coming of Christ. It's talking about what Jesus is going to do at the end of the age. And when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints, we will come with him at the second coming as a part of his army on white horses, following our Lord and our Savior, our General Jesus, into battle, the battle of Armageddon. When he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints, to be admired among all those who believe, because our testimony among you is believed. You see, there's the the mission again. How do other people believe? Because we tell them. God has always intended that the gospel should be perpetuated from person to person. Let's call it a virus, okay? Let's call it a godly virus. 
Let's call it the gospel. That's what we should be communicating to people. This is what we should be infecting people with, the love of Christ. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness in the work of faith with power. Here's the mission, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, there's the, there's the point. We are to bring glory and honor to our Lord, not to ourselves, not to other people. Don't read or trust Facebook or any social media or news outlet as the source of truth. It's not. The only source of truth I'm aware of is our Bibles. Read your Bible. Trust your Bible. Use your time, your effort, your resources for the sake of the gospel, not for yourself. Be winsome. Communicate Christ, not yourself, not your views, not your opinions. Don't get sidetracked. Don't get... get, uh, distracted. Stay focused. Keep the main thing the main thing. Paul said this in Ephesians 5. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. That phrase there, redeeming the time, there's two Greek words for time. Chronos and Kairos. Chronos means your watch. The second hand, the dial, telling of time. Okay, I have an appointment at two o'clock. That's Chronos. Kairos means opportunity or an opportune time. So a, a better paraphrase here would be redeeming the time or making the most of every opportunity. Redeeming the time means making the most of every opportunity. So every time I have an opportunity to interact with an unbeliever, to post something on Facebook. I'm sorry I'm beating a dead horse here, but I I feel like we need to do this, folks. I feel like we've drifted. We need to redeem the time because the days are evil. Romans 12, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world. Don't get sucked into the madness, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let the Spirit of God be at work in you. Stand firm in the Lord. We are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation. There's the main point. Through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in truth to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are here to point to Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast, hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or by our epistle, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good work. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. Then he said to me, Revelation 22, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. The Bible 
is instructing us on the things that must shortly take place. We are there. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book, Revelation 22:12. And behold, I am coming quickly. And my reward is with me. This is the end of the book. This is the last chapter of the Bible. To give to everyone according to his work. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. In Revelation 22:20, 20, he who testifies to these things, surely I am coming quickly. Uh, excuse me, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Paul ended the book of 1 Corinthians by saying this, if anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. O Lord, come, which in the Greek is Maranatha. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. I've said to you what I believe the Lord told me to say. And I encourage you today, if you've been drifting, if you've gotten sucked up in the world, if you've been taken off course, whatever the reason, whether it was COVID-19 or the crazy political year we've had, whatever the reasons, focus on the Lord. Let these things call you back to the Lord. Let's keep the main thing the main thing, amen? Let's stop getting caught up in things that don't matter. The day is coming when everything's going to be consumed and the, the wood, hay, and the stubble is going to be burned up and the gold, silver, and the precious stones, the things that we have built as eternal treasures in the presence of the Lord will remain. So let's focus on the Lord. Let's not be caught up in the things of this world. Amen. Lord, we love you this morning, and we are here to bless you, to refocus, to repent. And Lord, I pray that this message goes out to as many people in your church, capital C, as possible. Lord, we need to be stirred up by way of reminder. We need to be ready. So Lord, help us, we pray. Lord, please, in these last days, draw us to yourself. Help us, Lord, to, to do the right thing. Help us, Lord, to, to walk with you. Help us, Lord, to abide with you. And so, Lord, may we draw near to you even now. And as we worship you, as we close our time together today, may you be honored, may you be glorified. May you be blessed. And Lord, may we grow up into the head, even into Christ. And may you do your work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.